Welcome, badasses, to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Podcast. My name is Scott Miller, and I am privileged to serve as your host and interviewer each week. Today, our guest is the author of the Badass series that has sold over 5 million copies. Jen Sincero joining us from her palatial home in New Mexico that you can buy when you've sold 5 million copies of your books. Jen, welcome to On Leadership. Thank you so much for having me. Jen, it's great to have you here. Today, we're going to focus our conversation on your newest release, Badass Habits. The tagline of this book is cultivate the awareness, boundaries, and daily upgrades. You need to make them stick. You, of course, are well known in the publishing industry for carving one of the best brands, most prolific brands in the last decade that we've seen your use of the repetition of the title, your abuse of colors. You've owned every airport in America for a decade. We are honored that you've joined us today. I got to pay tribute to Amber Rackham, who was one of our co-producers who has been advocating to a group of fairly conservative men that helped to decide what our guest looks, look, looks like. And Amber has been pushing on us for months to make sure that we invite you, and we did, and you accepted. And so to Amber, we honor her. And today, thank you for putting us into your busy schedule. Amber is a badass as well, and we thank her for pushing on us less badass guys for um, having you on, and we're delighted you're here. Before we get into the topic of uh, today's book, talk a bit about how you envisioned this series. What was your original idea? Did you ever think it would become what it has? And what, what are you delighted most about that it's accomplished? I did not envision it becoming the giant thing it became by any means. I literally was just a coach who was writing a book that I hadn't read yet. You know, I read all the self-help books under the sun and they were amazing and they changed my life. But I was like, where's the curse words? Where's the jokes? Where's the the really pithy explanations of all of this stuff? So I just, you know, I was a writer before I was a coach. So after reading all the other books, I was like, it's time for me to write mine. Well, and to our benefit, you did. Your writing is funny, it's breezy, it's super relatable. It's a little blush worthy at times, which is probably why it's done so well. Uh, we had Mark Manson on who wrote um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. I think his book sold something like 13 million copies. And I asked him, had he titled his book The Subtle Art of Not Caring Enough, how many had it sold? Would it have sold? He said 13 copies. But it sold 13 million, I think, because of his provocative title. Certainly, your books are more than just the title. Let's start today, Jen, with what is the difference between a badass and a jackass? Well, a badass, you know, in my opinion, is somebody who gives themselves the permission and the means to be, do, and have whatever lights up their hearts. You know, I feel like earlier I was asked, you know, what's a coach's main job? And I feel like my main job is giving people permission just to, to get out of their own way and to really be and do and have whatever they desire. And describe a jackass. And the reason I ask this question is not to lure you into that, but to say I think a lot of people call themselves a badass, and many times they're a jackass. One of the biggest lessons I learned from Seth Godin, a friend of mine and a, a guest on our podcast, is the difference between being fearless and being reckless. They sound similar. They sometimes can prevent, present similar, but you know, being reckless and being fearless are two very different things. Uh, mm -hmm. What's the biggest misconception, maybe critically or negatively, about what it means to be a badass? I think, I think that's such a great question, that, that it's sort of irresponsible to take risks, that you know, you've got to play it safe and do the known thing, and that um, 
that it is reckless to spend money on a coach, to quit your safe, secure job and open up the business of your dreams, you know, to, to take any kind of leap of faith, to really have faith in yourself and to, to follow that inner permission of, I've never done this before. I, I don't know what I'm doing, but I want to do it so badly. And I'm on planet earth for a one go round and I'm going to, I'm going to go and do it. So I feel like that permission and that following of a deep desire is badass. I think recklessness is when you blow a ton of money on stuff that doesn't mean anything, or you, you just, you, you take great leaps not towards your desires necessarily, but more honestly away from your desires and sort of towards other things that are gonna numb you from your true desires. Jen, you are a superstar in the publishing world and you're in good company today because Franklin Covey knows a thing or two about habits. Of course, our co-founder, Dr. Stephen R. Covey, who passed about 10 years ago, wrote amongst many books, the incomparable book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. That book is in its 30th year, has sold 40 million copies, is in every language that is, you know, translatable practically. And we gravitated towards your current book, Badass Habits. It's one of many in the, the Badass series, if you will. And so let's talk a bit about some of the psychology you learned around habits. Uh, I've got a couple of questions I wanna ask you, but maybe take a few moments and maybe share with our listeners and viewers, why did you choose to write about habits? Why was that so important to you? And what are some of the biggest lessons our listeners and viewers can take away around how to transform self-defeating and non-productive habits in their lives? Mm. Sure. It was the very sort of organic progression from, you know, you are a badass, you're a badass at making money, you're a badass every day. All of those books are very focused. They're focused on action steps, but they're very focused on your mindset, you know, really understanding that in order to change your actions, you have to pay attention to your thoughts and your beliefs and your words. So there's that phrase that says, our thoughts creates our beliefs, our cre beliefs create our words, our words create our habits, and our habits create our reality. So I was like, well, there you go. That's clearly my next book. So, um, so I was really, really excited to write this and to, and to also, you know, my habits book talks a lot about mindset and it talks a lot about setting boundaries, which I'll go into later, but um, it also gives you a 21 day step-by-step -step course on creating good habits. And I was really excited because I am a coach to not just talk about what habits are and to give you lots of tips and tools to, to change your habits, but I wanted to give you a very boiled down, very useful program that you could use while you are reading the book so you can start getting real results as you're reading, as opposed to reading it, gathering information, and maybe moving on and not absorbing the information as easily. Beyond, I think, a great writer and obviously a competent, credible coach, you're a great storyteller, and there's so many stories in here, but I'll tell you, one of my favorites is one of the first where you share in uproariously funny humor the story about, I think it is your sister-in-law and your brother Steve and the diamond and the drama. Would you take a few moments and maybe painstakingly create that story in your best storytelling skill? I won't divulge the rest of the stories. People can buy the book, but you tell it in a way that is hysterically relatable. Recreate that story and the big idea out of that. Okay. Do my best. So my brother was visiting and we meet with his wife and we walked into town and along the way, my wife lost a diamond, a tiny diamond pendant that she was wearing. And she didn't realize it until we've gotten back to my house. And this was a 45 minute walk in either direction. 
and the sun was starting to set. It was fall, so there were leaves all over the ground, and it was a 45-minute walk, I mean, each way. So, you know, she realizes it and freaks out, and my brother instantly just, like, turned on the flashlight on his phone and started looking at the ground and then starts out my driveway. And I'm like, Stephen, you're insane. You're, you're never going to find it. And my sister-in-law is like, let him go. He's like a crow. He finds shiny stuff all the time. <laughs> so to make a long story short, he freaking finds this tiny diamond. On, on, like it was kicked onto someone's driveway. It was under a pile of leaves. I don't know how the hell he found it, but he found it. And um, and so I use that stories. My, my brother used to work in the diamond industry and they would they would rate diamonds. Part of his job is rating diamonds, which means you take a tiny little diamond in a pair of tweezers and you look at it through a loop and you figure out its carrot, its cut and its color. But a lot of times when you're looking at it, you squeeze it too hard and it just doinks across the room. So there's all these lost tiny diamonds in this room that he's working in. So a big part of his job was also finding them. You know, every time he'd go get up to have lunch or take a walk or pee or whatever, he'd, he'd just got into the habit of constantly looking for tiny, tiny shining things. And I'm telling you, he, he sends me stories all the time. I mean, the story that happened at my house, I'm like, whenever you want to call me and brag about that, I am available because my jaw is still on the floor that he found that thing. But I use it to show that he, you know, we train ourselves often unconsciously to have certain habits and they just become a part of who the, who we are. And Stephen literally finds lost diamonds everywhere he goes. It's, it's bonkers. Since reading that story, I've been trying to think of my corollary to your brother's <laughs> skills. And I, all I could find was, you know, popping the cork of a champagne bottle. I couldn't find things <laughs> that I do with enough frequency to build a habit around. But that story is a great illustration of how you teach a principle in an uproariously sort of badass way. Let's move into some of the psychology around uh, creating habits. One of your ideas of talking about early morning habits. Can you riff on that for a moment? Yeah, I mean, and I wanna preface this with saying, I definitely believe there are people who are morning people and who are definitely not morning people. I am up and bright and on it in the morning. I, my mind's going a million miles an hour. And my sister literally has to be dragged out of bed and like poured coffee in her mouth before she can even form a sentence. So I'm gonna say this, this really, it depends on who you are. So really let yourself be who you are. But one of the things I love about early morning habits is you haven't let the day come in and, and you know cover you with its many millions of distractions. So first thing in the morning, like you, you, you're, just, you're just not, you're not victim to so many things that are coming at you. So I, I love it. I think my mind is certainly sharpest in the morning. Um, and I really do think it's about sharpness and lack of daily distractions that is, is the reason early morning habits are so great. You know, I can relate to that. Like you, I'm a morning person. I bounce out of bed often naturally at four o'clock. I do my best thinking in the morning. We had Dan Pink, of course, the author and speaker researcher on, wrote a book called When. And in that book, he shared a concept I'd never heard of. It wasn't original to him, but it was about your circadian cycle, right? Your, your, your peak, your trough, and your recovery. And it was a profound insight for me because I realized that my peak is about 4 a.m. to 10 a.m. It's when I can institute habits that are more natural for me. I learned that from you. I tend to trough around 11 to 1. I rebound, recover from around 1 to 5. And then I have three sons of my wife and my, my life is lost after 5 p.m. in the yeah. evenings. But I liked your idea. For those of us who are morning people, sometimes it's best to interject a new habit 
in the morning because our attention is full, our distraction, our focus is intense, what would you say to those people who perhaps are not morning people, they're night owls or have some other time, is it best to understand your own natural rhythm and maybe introduce new habits during the time when it's your peak and not your trough, I'm guessing, or recovery? Absolutely. And I, and I, I feel this way in general. You know, there's a lot of talk about having a balanced lifestyle. And even that, I think, is so open to, to who you really are and working with who you are and not being in shame about the fact that you're a procrastinator or whatever. Like, so for example, my balance when I'm writing a book, I don't, I don't write anything until I absolutely have to. And then I bang out my books in about a month's time. And then I go on a vacation and I go backpacking for a month and I don't use my phone and I don't do a damn thing. So to the, you know, to a lot of people that's an out of balance life. But to me, that is perfect balance because I focus really well under pressure. I, I just, I, I get more excited when I'm really, really focused on a project and then I love doing nothing. So that works well for me. And for a long time, I was in a lot of shame about being a procrastinator and, you know, pushing myself too hard. But, you know, this is my sixth book, I think, and I've done them all this way. And now I just I just know how it goes. So I I carve out that time for working and I plan my vacation afterwards. So OK, I think- hold on, hold on, hold on. I feel I- like you're giving permission for people to be themselves right now. I know. How disgusting. It's a radical idea. (laughs) Jen, let's talk about the power of patience and anchoring. Two separate but kind of connected ideas as it relates to forming and implementing and sustaining good habits in our lives. Patience and anchoring. Well, the very unfortunate thing about most habits is they take a long time to see results. You know, let's say you're going on a diet and you're cutting out certain foods and you don't see any poundage dropping off of you for days or weeks, you know? So patience is a really, really important part of habit forming. And I do give some tips in the book, like um, one great one for that is tracking your days. So instead of tracking the actual progress of the actual habit, you just track how many days you've shown up and done what you said you were going to do. So that can be a great, great way to reward yourself while you're waiting for your habit to finally show up and give you some damn results. Um, and anchoring it in is really about repetition. Habits are so much, you know, people are always like, how long does it take to form a new habit? And it really depends, you know, on what it is and who you are and what the circumstances are. I mean, I, I've, I, it took, I tried to start flossing my teeth for decades. And after one terrifying conversation with a dental hygienist, I now floss my teeth every single morning without fail. So it really depends on what's going on. But in general, habits are really all about repetition, especially habits that are changing in old behavior. Because if you think about it, old behaviors are just beliefs and thoughts and actions that create a groove in your, in your mind. And so when you're creating a new groove, it really is just about repetition and repetition and repetition. And before you know it, it will suddenly become on autopilot because you've been doing it for so long. To our listeners, if you're just joining us, we're talking with Jen Sincero, oral hygiene expert and advisor on how to make sure your teeth. You know, I once heard Dr. Oz say if he had one like health habit he would give out, what's the one tip he said? it was flossing your teeth daily, that, that the impact that flossing your teeth has on your blood, your circulatory system, your oral hygiene, that of all the tips he would say, brush your, flossing your teeth was the top whole body wow. tip. 
that he gave. So you're in good company. I'm sending my dental hygienist a fruit basket. It's true. Uh, I want to prolong a conversation about um, boundaries. And I'd like to maybe take a moment and um, set up a scenario with you. You know, I'm 52 years old. I'm married to uh, my wife for 13 years. We have three boys that are six, nine, and 11. And to my wife's horror, they all have my personality. So there's a lot going on in our home. And uh, I don't know that I have money boundaries. Like, I probably could get some better boundaries according to human resources. But generally in life, I say yes to everything. And uh, I've been in the firm for 25 years, and I ultimately lead with Annie Oswald our books and our audio strategy. And a few weeks ago, I had a colleague suggest a person as a potential candidate to be an author of one of our books. And I sort of rejected that person out of hand because I said, this person says no to everything. They won't do this. They won't do that. They won't fly here. They don't travel. And I kind of have a perception of this person. They're very competent, but it's no to everything. And I kind of rejected them out of hand. Well, come to find out this person perhaps had some other issues that prevented them from traveling. And I had heard that, but I kind of felt like it disqualified them from being an author of one of our books. And I said to this person who suggested it, gosh, I mean, they have a lot of boundaries. And then I kind of regaled all the things that I had done for the company over 25 years, all the trips that I've taken, all the coach flights to Asia I'd taken, all the boxes I'd strapped to my back for trade shows. And I went on and I lamented my laborious, unrivaled commitment. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I don't have any boundaries. I mean, I'll do anything for anyone. And then I started thinking, well, perhaps it's grounded in my my own insecurity or the fact that I don't value myself because I have no boundaries. And I know you're not a psychiatrist, but for right now, you're my coach. So I'd like you to talk about the power of boundaries. What does that mean? How do you set them? How do you know when they're too strict or too liberal? And do you change them? And how do boundaries relate to habits? Coach me, fix me. <laughs> well, I'm really a dental hygienist, but I'll do my best to bring it Um, You know, First of all, I'm just going to start with why it's in the in the habits book in the first place. I, I I'm I'm 55, and I don't know about you, but the second I hit 50, it was like a gorilla crawled off my back. I was like, ah, Amen, sister. I don't care. Badass, badass in waiting, right here. Right. 50. So, 50. So I just, you know, anyway, I just found that I, I through age, and honestly, my dad, I put this in the book, my dad said something along the lines of, um, I don't know if you get more tired or more wise as you get older. And I was like, oh my God, that's such a good point. Like, I just don't have the energy for the drama that comes with having crappy boundaries. So, but then I was like, God, wouldn't it be great if somebody had told me all this stuff before I was 50? Because man, the amount of, the amount of energy we, we use coming from a place of insecurity and wanting to please other people is insane. So, so you're right. It really does come from a place of insecurity. So, and, and when I was writing the habits book, I was like, man, when you go to change who you're being, when you really go to change even little things about yourself, it is going to cause ripples because everybody's used to you being a certain person. So if you don't have good boundaries around time and what you're willing to do and who you're willing to hang out with and where you're willing to go, it's going to make your new habits very much harder to anchor in. So I was super duper excited to write this chapter. Um, and so the, you know, the thing with boundaries is I think that we give them a really bad rap. We, we unconsciously perceive setting healthy boundaries as being mean, as being selfish, 
as you know, not caring as much about other people's needs as our own. And um, and it's when you get in, when you really stop and realize that my God, you know, you know somebody who's got really good boundaries, right? We we all know that person who doesn't take crap from anyone and who's very clear about what they will and will not do. And and honestly, I used to be kind of scared of those people, but I would never. I would never waste their time. I would never show up late. Like they were so clear that it upped my game. So when you realize that when you have really clear boundaries and you share them in a very clear, unapologetic way, ladies, it helps everybody because we all know what the deal is. There's no passive aggressiveness. There's no resentment. There's no guessing and tiptoeing around on eggshells. So the first step in setting healthy boundaries is getting mighty real about your perception of them. And if you've got a negative perception of them, really understanding that the better at boundaries you are, the better it is for everybody. You're 55 and rich. What's that feel like? You know, it's it's restful. It's it's really it's really a lot of energy constantly worrying about money. And and I gotta say, like one of the biggest cosmic jokes on me was one of the main reasons I never focused on making money. When I was younger, is because I didn't I didn't want to have all my life be all about money, right? I was a rock star, I was a writer, I was creative, I was an adventurer. I don't want to be thinking about money all the time. But when you're broke, you think about money every five minutes because every decision you make is based on what stuff costs. And now that it's not an issue, it's just I have so much my mind is so much more freed up for other stuff because I'm not figuring out how much that taco is gonna cost me, yeah. you know. Well said, Jen, your authenticity and vulnerability is a fresh addition to On Leadership. I wanna pitch a couple of ideas out of this book, Badass Habits. On page 190, which I'm sure you've memorized, is the following phrase. Any fears, doubts, or worries you have about yourself and your fabulousness were learned from the people around you and from your own temporary failures, they are not the truth. Expand on that. You know, that we always say that the first step in self-transformation is awareness. And that could not be more true. And that is sort of what I'm talking about there is we just automatically buy into both good and bad things about our quote unquote realities. So, you know, I'm lazy, I'm bad at math, I'm, you know, my whole family has a slow metabolism, I can't lose weight, I, I suck at relationships, you know whatever, you know, mine was always, I suck at making money. And we just kind of automatically just assume that's the truth because oftentimes we have a lifetime of proof that that is the truth. And so when you stop and pull back and be like, okay, there is evidence of this, but is there another possibility? Is there a way that if I shifted my focus and changed my actions and upgraded who I hang out with, could I possibly rewrite that truth and so it really is that that breath that that stepping back and that becoming aware of what you're buying into as the quote unquote truth and if it doesn't serve you making up a new truth jen you talk a lot about the role that triggers play in forming and breaking habits and being aware of what triggers you you share a great story about a gentleman who dealt, I think, with another gentleman. I think it was two men in the scenario, one who was super aggressive. And, and when I read the story, it kind of described my personality as the person who kind of is the antagonist. And I'm sure there are people in my life who brace themselves for me. Would you maybe create that story and share what is the insight to be learned around how we can get 
control of our triggers that impact and prevent us from instituting habits that better protect us. Sure. So that story is about somebody who had to deal with another person who was very, um, ugh, hate it when I can't find the word I want, belligerent, basically, who would, you know, yeah, that's not going to happen. Or let me tell you something, or who just came at him from a very aggressive bullying standpoint, right? So, and he had to deal with this person all the time. And he realized that even almost before he started speaking with this person, he was he was getting all tense and sweaty and and ready for a fight and and meeting him at that very aggressive level, which is is not at all how he wanted to show up in the world. So he got the awareness that that's how he was showing up, and he took the breath and he took the step back and he's like, okay, this is going to happen. This is who this person is. This is how they communicate. My job is not to is not to educate this person on how to be a better communicator. My job is to show up how I want to show up. So it was in that in that pause and in that that awareness of the situation that he was able to change his habit of, you know, getting in the fight and getting all tense and instead getting into the habit of breathing into it and relaxing and letting this person do whatever d drama dance, bullying dance they were going to do and just letting them finish what they were going to say and not being a doormat but also not changing his own behavior to match that un, unsavory behavior of the other person, but instead just stating clearly what he needed and what he needed to express and changing his habit of really letting the other person inform the direction of the conversation and instead taking his own power back and being who he wanted to be. Jen, I don't love this term, but it's probably because I'm not comfortable with it or don't fully understand it as are most things in life that I don't like. They're different from what I'm comfortable with. It's the term self-love. And I hear it a lot and I have increasingly started to use it, quoting other people. As we finish our conversation today, talk about the relation, the correlation between self-love and developing, instituting healthy habits for us to achieve what we want to on this short, you know, I think you said one go around we have in life. Yeah. It's everything because, you know, it, it's kind of, it, it relates to boundaries. It, it relates to habits. It relates to all your relationships. When you come from a place of really respecting yourself and loving yourself, you, you give yourself permission to be who you are, to set that boundary, to go after the thing that you love and want to go after, regardless of how many people will tell you it's impossible or, you know, you can't do this or, you, you know, think about me, you know, whatever their issue is, that that self-love and that ability to just shut out all of the noise and listen to what lights you up, that's everything. And you can't get there and you certainly cannot act on it if you don't have the respect for yourself that you need to to, to let it blossom. I mean, I, I don't it really self-love really is about permission. Jen, thanks for your time today. Uh, after this podcast, you're going to have moved from 5 million books sold to 6 million books sold because the books are phenomenal. Uh, they've touched the heart of millions of people, including our producer, Amber Rackham, who, again, was your advocate to have you on this program, and we're grateful to her for her per persistence on that. What's next for you? I'm guessing the purple book is not the final book in the series. Can you give us a sense for what's on the horizon with you? You know, that is a great question that I ask myself every day. And I, uh, you know, I'm coming from this really 
amazingly luxurious place of being like, all right, the three questions I'm asking myself about what is next are, is it going to be fun? Is it going to give me energy and invigorate me? And is it going to have a lot of meaning for me? So I got to be honest, I've got about 15 new ideas that are, you know, banging around in my head. And I'm, 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 I'm taking this luxury of honestly, sort of the coming out of the pandemic and everything being slowed down to really sit and just marinate on these ideas. So I don't know is my answer. And I also want to say I'm still celebrating the birth of my last purple baby. So uh, that's my answer. (laughs) (laughs) Jen, if someone's got a habit that they've been trying to conquer, institute, break, solve, begin, end, what's something you would send our listeners and viewers off to say if they've got a habit that they know they want to address, begin Mm -hmm. or finish, break or start, what's a good motivator for everybody who's ending this podcast right now to say, first, go do this? Right. First, look at your thoughts, beliefs, and words around the habit itself, and especially around your ability and the permission you've given yourself to change this habit. Because I think the main reason that New Year's Eve, you know, New Year's resolutions don't stick and that, you know, we repeatedly try and fail to, to anchor in the same habits over and over is that we focus on taking action, which is extremely important, but we don't do any of the work around what we think and believe about it, who we're hanging out with, where we're putting ourselves and, and our identities around this habit. You know, if you, if you identify, identify as somebody who's trying to quit smoking, for example, as opposed to somebody who is healthy and takes great care of their body, you're constantly still gonna be attached to that idea of being an ex-smoker. So it sounds really small, but what, what this change in identity will do is, you know, I don't negotiate about drinking a bottle of vodka for breakfast because that's not who I am because I that's not how I identify. So the identity will keep you from the negotiation process, which mm. is the crack in the fortress of your willpower to keep going with this habit. So really think about identity. I write a lot about this in Badass Habits, but I would say that is the key to sticking with habits is your identity. Jen, how'd you get so smart? Where did you start? You mentioned you were, you were an artist and you started coaching the early part of your professional career how did it end up here, right? I'm sure there was serendipity and probably a lot of hard work and dedication, but your biggest life lessons are from who, from what? From screwing up over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I, 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 luckily I was always able, you know, I was in, in bands a lot. I worked in the record industry. I, I had a lot of fun. I just never had any money. So for me, it was through my own trial and error and, and my really, incredible determination, which I still am kind of like, where the hell did that come from? But I was really, really determined to get a handle on my financial situation. So I did everything I could think of, everything that scared the crap out of me. And I learned from all these amazing self-help books that I was talking about at the beginning. I hired incredible coaches. I went to every seminar I could find my hands on. I mean, I just, I did, I did the work. I really rolled up my sleeves and learned a lot through taking action. So... Uh, a commonality to nearly every guest on the On Leadership series, right? Is at the end of the day, just dogged determinism and uh, dedication to achieving your goals. Jen Sincero, thank you for lending us your time today. The latest book is Badass Habits. Cultivate the awareness, boundaries, and daily upgrades you need to make them stick. Look forward to which of those 15 projects filters out, and maybe we'll see you back here if you would give us more time on your next book. Jen, thank you for your time today. 
Thank you so much. This was really, really great. Thanks, everybody. I can't promise that next week's guest is going to top this one, but we keep outdoing ourselves. So we'll see you back here for another episode on Franklin Covey's On Leadership with Scott Miller. Thanks for your time. <laughs>